You know, tonight, uh, just before we went live uh, with you, we were praying. And uh, I trust that you too are involved in some consistent prayer. God has helped us and told us actually to build this particular evening. You know, 52 weeks we committed to, but we're building this evening around prayer and discipleship, humble prayer and strategic discipleship. Each week we come together and we pray. We pray uh, based around 2 Chronicles 7, 14. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, will seek my face, will turn from their wicked ways, God said, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and heal their lands. And we pray just like that. We humble ourselves and pray and seek God. And then we are committed to putting one more building block in our life. One more strategic building block, life block, that will help us to shape our life the way God wants us to. Are you guys ready today? You ready for tonight's uh, building block? Remember, it's just one block we're putting in our life each one of these evenings that we join together. And we're strategically building a life. Please don't uh, uh, um, forget what we learned, you know, in week one, in fact, I don't know how you could forget it because I recap it every week. I go back over what we've gone. Uh, as I said before, I don't know how many weeks I'll be able to do this, but uh, we're taking a few minutes here each week and adding another building block to our life. And tonight's building block, our life-shaped prayer and discipleship, is block number nine, and it's on salvation. It's taken us nine weeks to get to the all-important step, strategic step, of discipleship. Our goal this year is to make sure that believers, you and me, those who believe, that we know what we believe, that we have a reason behind believing what we believe, that we have a Bible reason for standing on this foundation of truth. And just like building a house, you know, you do it one piece at a time. Just like building this house, we are building our lives strategically. For example, it's so important that you prepare your foundation before you, you actually like pour your concrete or, or prepare your foundation before you, you know, set up your blocks or whatever you're going to be doing. It's so important to prepare your foundation. The Bible says that a man who builds without preparing a foundation. A man who builds on sand will end up whenever trouble comes to your life, whenever storms arise and floods come and winds blow, that it will destroy your house because it's not built on a solid foundation. So we're admonished by the word of God that we would dig deep, that we would find bedrock, that we would find a solid foundation upon which to begin building. And then as we build, that we would strategically, you know, as you're building a house, you can imagine in your mind that you don't build a roof first. You don't, you know, uh, install the toilet first. I mean, toilets are important in much of the world, okay? Uh, although uh, much of the world, uh, uh, you, know, you, you know, much of the world does not have indoor plumbing or any plumbing at all. Uh, but for many of you, toilets are very important. For many of you, electricity is very important. But you cannot install electricity. You can't get to that step until you've done some other steps. And that's what we have done with the Bible, with the Word of God, with the truth of God's Word. We have broken it down and strategically put it back together so that each week we are not just taking another building step, but we are taking the next building step, the next logical step of truth. 
We began our journey by, by declaring that there is only one God. Without believing in only one God, you'll, you, you, you can never take another step. You would, you would not be able to even believe the word of God if you did not believe in the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible, Jehovah, one God. You know, you may be in a country tonight where you are serving many gods or maybe your culture, your custom is to embrace, you know, several gods. But let me tell you the truth. You, you know need to understand you have a right to choose god gave you a right to choose but in truth there is only one god we established that from the word and we realize that this one god jehovah that he created the heavens and the earth and he also made man and when he made man he made man like him we are made spirit soul and body we are three parts but one man three parts but one being we believe in this triune god in this unified one god but this one god in three persons we believe in god the father we believe in god the son we believe in god the holy spirit not three gods one God, but God in three persons, just as we are spirit, soul, and body. God has not only uh, created man, but, but uh, uh, when, when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, and he created man like him to live forever, when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden, they brought birth to death. Death became a reality. And man was separated. Sin separates. It separates us from one another. It separates us from God. It separated man from Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden. It separates us, therefore, from the blessings of God, the provision of God, from all that God intended. And as well, it separated God from man throughout eternity. It separated man, sin separated man from eternal life that God had purposed for mankind. Well, sin claimed the souls and sin demanded sacrifice. Uh, the best that could be done for a while was animal sacrifice. It's in the Bible. But animal sacrifice was a very poor sacrifice for sin. Sin demands blood, but the blood of animals could only cover sin temporarily, could only cover sin for a short season. And God would then again need more sacrifice because blood would cover the sins that are past, but never the sins that are present or the sins that are future. And so there would always, as man walked daily, living in the sin of this world and, and, and not being able to follow follow to the strict letter everything that God would have him to do continued to sin and therefore sacrifice had to be continually offered but it was never intended that that blood should have to be spilled for sin albeit when man did sin and man was separated from God the blood of bulls and goats could only satisfy that temporarily. God had to find a perfect sacrifice only the blood of a perfect sinless man could pay for man's sin. And so God sent his son, his only begotten son, the son of God, born of a virgin, the son of God, the son of man, perfect in every way. Jesus was not born unable to sin, but he was born able not to sin. And he lived a perfect life. He made every decision to please his father. God so loved, he gave his only son. But his only son so loved the father that he willingly obeyed at every step, at every opportunity, and therefore became that spirit 
spotless lamb that was qualified to pay for sins, past, present, and future. And he willingly gave his life on the cross of Calvary in payment, in sacrifice. He died with my sin, with your sin, and he died for our sin. And he took our sin to the grave. And although he was sinless... He died with and for my sins, and because of that, he gained the right to enter into death. Even as the Son of God, the devil imagined that he won because now he had the Son of God locked up in death. However, Jesus said, no one can take my life. I can lay it down and I can take it up again. He knew what he was talking about. Jesus had the power of life. And with the power of life, as the Son of God, a sinless and spotless sacrifice by the strategy known to God and his Son, he entered into death and stood toe-to-toe, face-to-face with him who had the power over death. That is the devil. And the Bible says he destroyed death in death. It took someone entering into death with the power of eternal life to destroy eternal death. And he made a show of the devil openly. He triumphed over principalities and powers. He took the keys of death and hell and raised from death to life again, victorious over sin, death, hell, and the grave, over poverty and anxiety and worry and fear and frustration and turmoil and over every enemy to mankind, victorious. And he stood proclaiming that we too would have this new power, the grace of God, the goodness of God, not because he had to, but because he wanted to. He took of that grace purchased and won by Jesus and he gave it freely to all who would believe. You see, there is a door into God's grace. There is a door where we can obtain what Jesus died for. Our salvation, our forgiveness, our joy, peace, prosperity, our patience, gentleness, goodness, humility, self-control, all of these things that Christ died to appropriate for us are held in a storehouse of God's grace. God can give it to anyone anytime he wants to. He can reach into what is his and give it to any person without respect to what you have done, what you deserve, what you earn, you know, you, you, without respect to who you are. God can give it to anyone and does. God finds food for the birds. He also finds food for mankind. God blesses us even when we don't know him, even when we don't love him, even when we don't serve him, God yet blesses mankind. It's the goodness of God that shows us 
the way to salvation. The Bible says the goodness of God leads men to repentance. God is good. He is good to the lost. He's good to the saved. He's good to the children of this world. And he's good to the children who have come into his family. God is good. But more than God pulling out of his basket of grace and raining down manna upon the children of Israel in the wilderness, upon his children, upon the world on a daily basis, more than God just being good to us, God has given us access to his grace. He has given us an inheritance. We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Not only did God give his son, but he also gave us his son's inheritance. How do we access this grace? There is a door. We read about it. We studied it last week. The door into the storehouse of God's grace is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the way. He said, I am the door. Jesus is the door through which we enter. However, there is an access code, and the access code is faith. Our trust in God. God blesses whom he will when he wills, but we can access God's grace by our faith through Jesus Christ. That's brought us up till tonight. You see, in Ephesians, our key scripture tonight, Ephesians the second chapter, verses 8 and 9, we find our key scripture for salvation. This is what the Bible says. For by grace are you saved. That word saved literally uh, means made whole, complete. Okay? Saved from an eternity in hell, saved from the hell of this life, God completes us. For by grace, you see, it's the grace of, it's the goodness of God. God doesn't have to save us. He wants to. It's by his grace. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. You don't merit. It's the unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor and goodness of God toward man. For by grace are you saved through faith, through our trust in God, a vital component. We learned last week that trust has two elements. Faith has two elements. Number one is trust. Number two is the truth. Without either one of these elements, we cannot have faith. Without trust, without the truth. If you're trusting in something that is not the truth, you cannot have faith. If you have the truth but do not trust it, you cannot have faith. You must have trust in the truth. And this is what he's saying. It is... By grace, we are, we are saved through faith. And that, you know, that, that's not of ourselves. It's not of our own doing. Okay? It's not of our works. You see, that's not from us. We, we don't save ourselves. God saves us because we trust in the truth that Jesus died on the cross for us. And it's through Christ our faith brings us into the grace of salvation. You see, it is the gift of God. The grace of salvation is the gift of God. We access it by faith. Not by works, the Bible says. The next verse. 
lest any man should boast. No one can boast. No one can say, I saved myself. No one can say, well, I pleased God so much that I get to go to heaven. No one can say, I gave so much that I am now important to God. No one can say that, that by my own merit or my strength, because of who I am, because of what I've done, because of, 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 of the position I was born to or, or how hard I worked, therefore I am saved. No, we are saved only by grace. Only by grace, and that is a gift of God, and we only access it by trusting the truth that Jesus died for our sin. As we do that, we are saved. There was a man in John, the third chapter, you can read about him. His name was Nicodemus. The Bible says he was a good man. He was a ruler of the Jews. He was a leader of the religious sect of the Jews called the Pharisees. You can read about this in John, the third chapter. In John, the third chapter says this man named Nicodemus, who by all rights and reasons was a man worthy of God, worthy to be saved, worthy to be a child of God. He was a Pharisee. He was a leader and a ruler of the Jews. He was a good man. And he came to Jesus at nighttime after dark because he did not want to stir up controversy because many felt that Jesus was Messiah and many felt that Jesus was a false prophet. He did not want to take sides, be controversial or cause himself any problems. And so he came to Jesus after dark and he said, Jesus, you know, it's evident that you have come from God because no man can do the works you are doing if they were not sent from God. And Jesus said, Nicodemus, let me tell you the truth. The truth is that no one can see the kingdom of God, let alone enter into it. But no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Nicodemus said, how can a man be born again? Do I, do I uh, enter into my mother's womb a second time and be born? And Jesus said, no. You see, what's born of the flesh is of the flesh. What's born of the spirit is of the spirit. But you must be born of the water and the flesh. You must not only have an outward appearance, speaking there of, 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 of the water baptism experience, when people agreed with a religion or whenever they agreed with a, with a, with a movement or a group or, or an organization or religious sect, they were often baptized into that religion. And Jesus said, it's not that that will save you. It's not just being born of the water. It's not just having some mental ascent or some work or some outward sign. It's not just the, the, the fact that you are baptized into a church or an organization that will save you. Oh no, you must be born of the Spirit as well. You must be born not only and, and, and baptized and, and engulfed. Not something on the inside has to happen. It has to happen in here. That which is, which is fleshly is just fleshly. That which is works is just works. But there's something has to take place in here. And that's why Jesus said to Nicodemus, even the good man, you must be born again. You see, it is by grace you're saved through faith. And it's not of yourself. It's a gift of God. It's not of works. No man can boast. And you must be born again. You must. If you are not born again, you will never see the kingdom of God. 
You must be born again. Without regard to what religious order you belong to, what church you may have been baptized into, without uh, respect to how good you might be, all of that is nothing if from the inside you are not born again by the Spirit of God. In reverse, what happened to Adam and Eve? When Adam and Eve sinned, they brought birth to death. They were born again from life unto death. Standing in right where they were standing, it happened like this. There was no, you know, entering into a mother's womb and being rebirthed. It's a miracle that takes place like this when we are born again. And it comes by the gift of God through our trust in that grace. By grace are you saved through faith. It must happen in here, not up here, not out here. It's not just a life change. We don't change to get born again. We change because we got born again. We don't get water baptized to get born again. We get water baptized because we were born again. We'll cover that in water baptism, how that Christ was the Son of God before he was water baptized. We'll cover that later. Get ahead of ourselves. That's two more lessons away. There is a very powerful step-by-step process laid out in the Word of God for us to understand. It is commonly called the Romans' road to salvation. Take down these important points. They are scriptural references. I want you to go over them this week, not only in your head or writing it down or accessing this, these notes or this, this, this uh, uh, video, but also I want you to repeat them to someone else this week because it is the Bible way that leads us to an understanding of how we obtain this grace of salvation through faith. The first important point is Romans 3, 23. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every person has sinned. We must believe the truth. God's word is truth. We must believe that every person has sinned and has fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us. In fact, the Bible says the man that says he has not sinned is a liar. Okay? The truth is all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. The second important point is Romans 6.23. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. All have sinned, Romans 3.23 says. And what you deserve, what you should be paid, sin pays death. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, remember that gift? The gift of his grace. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Okay? The wages of sin. All have sinned. All fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. 
speaking of eternal death, eternal separation from God. But God has a gift. Jesus bought it, and Jesus gave it to God so that God could give it to whomsoever he would. And God decided all who believed could access the grace of salvation through faith. The gift of God is eternal life. Again, here's that door, through Jesus. There's the door, through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's through Jesus the Messiah, Christ Jesus. Christ means anointed one, speaking of the Messiah Jesus. And then Romans 10, verse 13. Romans 3.23, all have sinned. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Romans 10.13 says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the truth. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you were to read in Romans, the 10th chapter, a few verses earlier in verse 9, the Bible will tell you in verse 9 and 10, for with the heart we believe and move ourselves into a place of right standing with God. And with the mouth, our confession is made unto salvation. So that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Wow. For by the heart, man believes, and it puts us into the right place with God. By faith, we move ourselves into that grace, into that grace. And by the confession of our mouth, we pull the trigger on the salvation of our soul. Pastor Ken. We just heard a wonderful and very simple presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ tonight and how wonderful it is to realize that there's a way out of our predicament, our sinful predicament. You know, I never had to teach my children how to do wrong. When they got to a certain age, they just did it. It was just innate in their nature. And that just is a little sign, a little proof that all men are sinners, that all of us, you and I, we have all done things wrong and fallen short of God's glory. The truth is God is holy and man is not. But Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for our sin, for my sin and for your sin, shed his blood, was buried and rose again the third day, so that when we confess that we are sinners and then place our trust in the truth that is Jesus Christ and the truth of the gospel that he died on the cross for our sins. The Bible says simply by trusting and confessing that we are then saved. Some people say saved from what? Well, saved, as Pastor Ron said earlier, from hell in eternity, separation from God, and also the hell of this life that comes, as you and I know, from our own acts of sinfulness. But God loves you tonight. He loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, who died for your sin. If you will believe in him and trust in him, then he will save you. I just want to tell you to do three simple things. First, A, admit that you are a sinner. 
Secondly, B, believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, was buried and rose again. And then C, confess that Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior as you have trusted in him with all of your heart. You say, well, how can I get to that place? How can I know that I'm born again? We just simply have to trust in Christ. And one of the ways that we like to do that to help you to trust in the Lord is by a simple prayer. Many call it the sinner's prayer. And I just want to lead you in that tonight. So if you're ready, if you are ready and you're tired of your sin and you want to get rid of it and you want to know that you know that should you die in the next few moments that you would go to heaven, pray this prayer with me. Just pray it after me and put your trust in Christ Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and he loves you tonight. Let's pray together. Are you ready? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I am sorry for my sin. I confess that I am a sinner. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin, that he gave his life for me. Lord, I believe in you. Forgive me of my sin. I put my trust in you as my Lord and Savior. Give me eternal life. Grant me forgiveness of sins and allow me to go to heaven when I die. And Lord, I'm just praying for every person that prayed that prayer. And I'm asking you, Lord, to change their life from the inside out by the wonderful manifestation of the presence of the Holy Spirit in their hearts and lives right now. I'm praying for you tonight. I'm praying that God's Spirit will just confirm to you that you are his child. The Bible says that when we place our faith in Christ, that the Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit that we are his children. And so let me encourage you, respond to the gospel. Admit that you're a sinner. Believe in Jesus Christ. Confess him as the Lord and Savior of your life. Not only just in that prayer, but tell somebody else that you've made a commitment to Christ. Because Jesus said, if you'll confess me publicly before men, I will confess your name before the Father in heaven. And that's why it's important to help sort of seal your commitment to Christ. God bless you tonight. We love you. I hope you'll join us next week for another great building block in Life Shape. And may the Lord Jesus Christ guide you and keep you always in Jesus' name. Amen.